Hello and welcome to the show both feared and revered by Man and Beast, the Helios blog. Today, Michaela Peterson talks about how to get rich. Anyway, this totally is not a misleading title. Promise. The reason she's alone is because she's difficult. Women are not accepting the bare minimum. Women fuck men they respect. All the women who say things like, I'm strong and independent, I don't need no man, like, y'all impress me. Women just gaslight each other and say what they want to hear. All the mutual funds since the beginning of time and all the analyst recommendations for individual stocks since the beginning of time, do not be simply investing in the S&P 500 and reinvesting your dividends and engaging in this sort of long-term investing that allows you to have compound interest work in your favor. And there are a couple of other things which I'll explain as well in this podcast that there's a really simple turnkey solution that even a small amount of money, very small, like $10,000 can end up as a seven-figure portfolio over time. So that's the secret to this is to not try to like outsmart the market, not try to listen to the latest person on TikTok or um, YouTube or, or Instagram say, here's the three hottest penny stops or hottest tokens of the day. Or, and it's, it's nonsense. Like they're charlatans and, and they charge fees. That, and at the end of the day, it's really just going to separate you from your hard-earned money. I see. So what's the point? You heard the point. Do you think the people who are charging these fees do believe in the cap- their capabilities? Like, oh, no, I am good at this. I do believe I can beat the S&P 500. It's probably more like um, a fool and his money are soon parted. Or do you think they know that this isn't going to turn out well for their clients? They must know unless they're deaf, dumb, and blind. I mean, because <laughs> it's, it's like everyone knows. Like, listen, there, there are some people, there are some people who can beat the market on a consistent basis. There are a few, like a handful in the world. The problem is they don't want your money. They're going to take your money. They are managing uh-huh. billions of dollars for their own capital and maybe a couple of ultra-wealthy individuals. That is a closed club. And in fact, any of these so-called hedge funds, if they get really hot and they are beating the S&P for a while, guess what they do? They'll close the town, <laughs> the fund, give the money back. They'll trade for themselves. So in other words, yeah. it, there, there is, you, it doesn't work. Of course. I see. So if they're actually successful at doing what they're supposed to be doing, they uh, <laughs> they shut it down and just invest their own money. That's hilarious. There are anomalies here and there over time. But generally speaking, when you look at all these mutual funds and all these hedge funds, after you deduct the fees, the expenses, and the extra taxes you have to pay because they do a lot of short-term trading to try to beat the market, you end up going backwards, not forwards. And what's even worse is that there's a, um, a very profound difference between an 11% annual return and a 7 or 6% annual return when it comes to long-term compounding. So something that's compounding at 11% a year, after like 25 years, it's going to be a massive amount of money. Like it, it makes a, a, a huge difference. If it's a 6% or 5%, you're nowhere in 25. You're still with that. So at the starting, you say, how come it's not working? How come it's not working? And I think that's what kind of trips people up is they, they look at the amount of money and say, okay, I have, I have $5,000 to invest or 10000 right? Whatever, it's 50000 right? How am I going to get rich? How am I going to really, really end up with anything substantial enough to make my life awesome when I'm ready to retire unless I find the next Apple or the next Bitcoin or the next, uh, 
you know, Microsoft. So they fall into this trap of thinking that unless you have a huge amount of money, a 10% return is not sufficient to get anywhere. Yeah. But that's not true. A 10% return over time with compounding becomes massive, especially if you're doing things like reinvesting your dividends and you're making little contributions along the way. There's a couple of things that you do, and then you balance that with some with uh, some bonds in there as well, as you, especially as you get older. But this is like a surefire way to have a, a really heavy portfolio. I mean, mass amounts of money when you're older and ready to retire. It's so again, you heard it. S&P 500, that's it. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. It's really that simple. The opposite that wants to get rich overnight. That's not what the, the stock market doesn't work that way. No. That's a trap. That's okay? right. So, you know, I wrote this book for people who were saying, listen, you know, I, I'm working hard. I have some money to invest, but I, I want to invest the right way. So I know, and then 20, 30 years from now, when I'm ready to retire or, you know, people are really retired as early these days. Maybe, you know, you want to be kind of cutting back on your work, right? Mm-hmm. And be able to enjoy life more, right? You're going to almost be assured to have a multi-million dollar portfolio, provided that the world doesn't implode, okay? And but it might implode along the way here and there, because the word, there's always an implosion along the way. But even then, it doesn't matter. You know, over the last hundred years, that type of investment structure pays off in the, over the long term, every time. Okay. Right, okay. So the S&P 500, that seems to be stable enough even... So it's it's basically irrelevant what happens in the world and world events. You just invest in... S&P 500 means the top 500 most successful companies. You just invest in those and you don't bother with mutual funds or hedge funds or anything anything like that. With like the financial crisis in what 2008, even with these, these crises, if you just stay long term, you can kind of see it through. So, yeah, so here's the way it works, right? So in any given year, the S&P 500 might go up or might go down, right? Generally for up more years than down, but generally it could go up or down. So if you are looking to invest with a 12-month horizon, you're taking all your money and putting it into the S&P, right? You might lose that year. You might go backwards 5% or 8%. In the worst year, maybe 25% even. That's like the worst, worst year of all, right? But over five years... Suddenly, wait, wait a second, I, I'm, I'm actually, the worst we'll have is I'll probably break even. Over 10 years, I'll probably make a little money. But once you get past the 10-year horizon, there's not one time in the history of the stock market where that investment doesn't pay off massively over the long term. So I, I think uh, what, what, what people have to realize is there are no get-rich-quick schemes. Right, it's, it's get-rich-slow scheme. It's just invest in S&P 500, leave it there, don't take it out. And that's it. In the market, it doesn't work. It just, it's not what the market is meant for, okay? And what it is, you take, you have a business or a job, whatever you do, that makes you an income of some sort, and you take the, the, some savings and you keep investing month by month by month, little by little. And when you do that using the strategy that I lay out in the book, which is a combination of S&P and a couple of other things, it, it, it literally, it's like, it's almost a blueprint for success, Unless the world implodes completely and goes well, and then it doesn't really matter, right? We're all screwed anyway. So what, yeah. what does it matter at that yeah. point? But assuming that 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 the world stays generally like still, it's it's the world that we know. Um, you'd be hard pressed not to have uh, a, a really really successful portfolio that's going to allow you to retire and live the life you want. And by the way, you might that if you're young, right, and you're your late teens or early twenties, 
you won't even be close to it. You'll have a massive amount of money. You'll be in your fifties. So, but but you have to realize the trap that you might fall into is that in the beginning it doesn't seem to be right. Working. Right. It, exactly. Yeah. That's that's the thing that um that I've learned is compound interest. It doesn't look like anything. It looks like what you're doing is not working until it does. It's because doubling is not understood by our brain very well, right? Doubling is not understood by our brain very well. So the principle is this. The pond is halfway full a day before it's completely full. That's how doubling works. So it looks like the doubling isn't even going to ever fill that pond. And then literally in one day it does, right? Overnight. But you didn't account for all of those doubling periods beforehand. That's the point. The point is, the point is, you need to give it time. You're like, I don't understand. It's like watching pay try. I mean, I'm up 15% this year, but I only had 10,000. I have 11.5. How does that help me? Yeah. But it, but, but that starts to change very quickly as time goes by and you start compounding your returns. And the S&P also has some really, that's some really big years over time. So you could just draw like a, a map since the beginning of the 1920s and go back and say any point in time, any 30 year period, you're going to end up really, really well by doing that. Mm -hmm. So um, dad got quite a bit of money when he stopped becoming a professor, which is just what happens when you basically retire. And that was immediately taken by a bank in Canada. And then we had a money manager and it's underperformed the SMP for forever. Um, and the money manager takes their fees and everything. So we're swat. We're obviously we're getting away from that. But why is that the norm? Why is a money manager the norm as opposed to just investing yourself? How did that even become a position? Sure. So so this goes back and that's like, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is something called the Wall Street fee machine complex, like the military industrial complex, which exists to essentially feed on itself. So it's a sort of combination between Wall Street. It's like a parasite. Washington, D.C., Madison Avenue, and like, you know, the, the media, and they create this perception through mass advertising and yeah. mass brainwashing that you should be giving your money to the experts in the financial yeah. community because they could do a better job at managing your money than you can. Now, here's the irony. That was probably almost true. Well, let's just say managing your money yourself was very, very difficult before 1980. The, the, the vehicles didn't really exist. It didn't exist, okay? And mutual funds were charging exorbitant fees, but, but the problem was the average person on Main Street did not have access to information in the same way you did on Wall Street. There was no internet, right? So you read about some things in the Wall Street Journal the next day, yet on Wall Street, they're getting news delivered real time to their desks and the traders are one step ahead, right? And you also had... No index funds. You didn't have an S and P five hundred index fund until nineteen seventy seven. Uh, so there was an S and P five. There was an S and P five hundred, but it wasn't an index fund. It was an index. So there's a very big difference between an index and an index fund. An index is something you could just track. So you say, oh, the S and P or the Dow Jones is up five percent or three percent today or fifteen percent this year. Great. So what does that mean for investing? You can't buy the S and P. You couldn't buy the S and P five hundred or the Dow didn't exist. So the only way you could then take advantage of the general stock market was have a stockbroker or money manager that would 
that was had the, the capabilities in the in-house research departments and the execution abilities to go out there and buy these big stocks and keep themselves informed. So, yes. So what he's saying is because of the Internet and the rapidity of information, you can just invest your own your own money um, and do better than uh, what would have been possible before without this information. So literally the brain dead way to make money is just invest in the S&P 500 and that's it. Okay. Understood. Apparently there's some more things you have to do, but again, if we just take that one general brain dead rule, I'm sure you, you can't really go wrong. Again, let me know in the comments. I'm not an expert in, in the financial realm of, as, as you can imagine. In this 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe in the 80s, it started to change, right? But what happened is in the 80s, with the beginning of Vanguard was the first one to have an S&P 500 index fund. Uh, it was a, a game-changing moment in the stock. Game-changing. It changed everything. And in fact, Wall Street did everything they could to suppress it. They yeah. smeared Vanguard. They smeared the, the, the founder, Jack Bogle, called him a fraud. They did everything they could to stop this information from getting out to the public. And they still do it today with like, you know, propaganda on CNBC. It's like a joke. If you watch CNBC, then how do you think that the best investments are short-term option trading, going from this stock to this stock to oil to crypto? They, they literally are out there giving the public this sort of, you know, false belief about what it means to invest in the stock. But when in fact- the- uh, Honestly, all I'm, all I'm hearing is it's just like any other news. It's just meant to- brainwash to trick to deceive to make you feel a certain way it's it's not at all about reality honestly i think we would do you would do much better not ever watching the news of any kind including the business news scientific the mathematical studies are conclusive they're conclusive the best investment of all is literally s&p 500 index fund balanced by a couple of other things but primarily that right and reinvesting your dividends, making frequent contributions, small as they might be, or as big as they be along the way. And if you do that, you are going to blow away like 97% plus of all the fund managers out there on a consistent basis. You can't- uh, That's the- hilarious because it's also uh, time efficient, right? So if you have better things to do with your time, then it's literally both time efficient and you're outperforming them. So- Okay, there you go. It's got a great saying because I'd rather give my money to a bunch of blind monkeys throwing darts <laughs> at the S&P. They'll do better than, than the money managers than usual. And they can't compete with the blind monkeys. The problem is there's not a lot of blind monkeys around throwing darts. So, so essentially, <laughs> the S&P 500 index fund, which was invented by Vanguard, right? And now it's like, you know, it became one of those things where if you can't beat them, join them. So now all the biggest, you know, firms have their own version of that whether it's BlackRock or Schwab, they all have an I In the book, I go through the top, the best ones of all, right? But that literally was like, it's almost like this, this uh, it's like a shortcut to beating the market on a consistent basis. And, and what happens is that Wall Street is like, gets a bad rap because here's the deal. They, Wall Street's vital. You know, we need Wall Street. We need a strong investment banking arm to the country. We need to have a financial system that's supported with people that sell bonds and whatnot. The problem is that's Wall Street's useful role. They have been their not-so-useful role, which is to convince the average person to trade in and out of these instruments, right, 
and it goes, it works against them. So by essentially following the advice in my book, it's like the ultimate hack, I call it the ultimate investment hack, right? Because it allows you to take the very best that Wall Street does, all the value that Wall Street does create, because they take these companies public. All these companies in the S&P 500, they were once small companies that became big companies, right? And they went through the investment banking um, firms like Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley, whatever they might be, right? At the time, some are very old. But what happens is, is once that value is created, if the company succeeds, guess what? It becomes part of the index. It becomes part of the S&P 500. Right. So the idea is, it, as time goes on, what is inside the S&P 500 changes, right? So you don't really care who's actually in it. You care that you're going with the top 500 most successful companies, effectively. Okay. So you're going to capture it anyway. So you have to play the game. Like If you try to play Wall Street's game and fall into the trap of trying to buy individual stocks, short-term trading, switching from sector to sector, like I, I just bought, like I watch TV sometimes, I'm like, oh, I can't believe they're saying this shit. Like they're, they're, they're making people believe that because now that the economy's slowing. It's just like fake, like, as I, as I said, it's just misinformation aimed at brainwashing, aimed at tricking. And it's not for you. It's made for them. That's the idea. You should take your money out of the industrial sector and put it into safer sectors like consumer props. It's like, what a freaking joke. It's like, it's like, it's like Everyone knows it doesn't work. That's history's proven that like by the time you think you should be doing it, you should probably be doing the opposite anyway. But the point is you don't have to even deal with any of the short-term stuff. You have to take a long-term view right. of the market. Right. Let Wall Street do all their work in creating value, taking companies public, providing them with financing, taking all that stuff, but you don't trade in and out of things. You hold the S&P 500, which by the way, changes the, the 500 companies in the S&P 500 today are not the same ones that were there last year. Not all of them. Every quarter, the index committee meets and they remove companies that aren't doing as well or becoming less relevant. They change this, the weighting of each sector. So, what, you know, as the economy... So they literally do your job for you. Smarter people than you do your job for you. All you literally have to do is put money in there. That's it. Wow. <laughs> very, very hard. Very hard. We moved to more of a computer informational economy. The SPs made up more of those stocks versus industrial stocks, right? So, so like, no, it's, you have 50,000 employees or 35,000 employees at the S at Standard & Poor's working every day tirelessly to try to come up with these best 500 companies. And then you have a company like a Vanguard or whatever, or, or like the Petters that have created this ultra low cost index fund. And you could just buy that and you sidestep all the bullshit that Wall Street and the theme machine complex is slinging at you. And by doing that, you set yourself up for massive success over both the short and especially the long term. That's the way it works. Yeah, we don't, we don't particularly care about the short term. The point of investment is long term. So if you win over the long term, so literally what that means is you don't even have to look at your own investment. We just put the money in and you know over the long term it's going to go up, Right. And don't emotionally invest because today or whatever, in six months, it might be down, but in 60 months, it won't be. It's funny. Before you asked questions, you said like, you know, you know, do these money managers have any use at all? And I was like, well, no, not really. 
the, the truth is, though, is, this, is that there's another side to this, which is like financial planners, right? Which can be useful in the sense of tax planning, yeah. right? Of, you know, what accounts should I use? Should a certain tax-free accounts, and it differs by country. So, you know, you know, the United States, we have our 401ks, we have our IRAs, our Roth IRAs. So there's sort of these vehicles. How do I minimize my taxable income as well with when I invest? So there's a part of that and my estate planning. So for those sorts of things, yes, if you have enough, a certain amount of money, it might make sense to seek out an expert for that. But if they start to tell you what you should be buying and selling and how you engaging in short-term trading or going from this sector to that sector, just run the other fucking way, okay? Because that's a, a very different thing than giving someone proper advice on how to... Right, right, right. They, they, actually, these are two different conversations, right? The tax law and tax code and how you can minimize the amount of income that's taxed is actually a different conversation than um, what happens to that net take-home income that you have and where it should be invested. They're actually two different realms, of finance. So he's not talking about every realm of finance. He's specifically talking about long-term investment, which is the best choice. So I understand. Structure their taxes and their retirement, different things. You have to just kind of distinguish that from investing advice. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. These people are very good at talking themselves up. Like, oh, I'm the, I'm the best around. This will help you. You don't know what you're doing. Let us do it. It's the one exception to the rule of, I should seek out an expert to help me get a better result. It's the, it's the, it's the opposite. If you're going to need surgery, then I'd suggest you go get like, the world's best surgeon mm-hmm. right, to operate on you. Mm-hmm. Don't pick up a scalpel and take a mirror and try to cut yourself open and do an appendectomy. It's probably not going to end well for you, right? Indeed. If you're going to give birth, go get a great you know, um, midwife or a great you know, uh, um, gynecologist or obstetrician who's going to help deliver the baby to make sure it all goes well. So, you know, Commonly, yes, if you get a, if your pipes break, you call a plumber. Let the plumber go fix the pipes yourself, right? If uh, electricity's not working, don't try to fix your electricity. I'll call the electrician, right? That's how life works, except when it comes to investing. When it comes to investing, it's the one industry where experts take more value than they give. It's it's really funny because uh, what actually the, like the reason why that actually happens is because they have to justify their own career, right? Um, yeah, that's kind of hilarious when when you think about it. Okay, they take more than they give. Bottom line, they're unable to give add value beyond what they charge in fees, commissions, and whatnot. And this is a well known thing on people on Wall Street who really know the deal and are willing to be honest. Warren Buffett's been screaming this from the hilltops for God knows how long. And there's other great examples of like, you know, famous studies that were done where they, you know, they almost get ironic at the DM and they'll say, you know, maybe there are some money managers out there that have this special ability to, uh, to beat the market on a consistent basis. I just can't seem to find that. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, right. Oh, or it's, um, you know, a pyramid scheme, right? They, they take money and the purpose is like you don't actually invest the money. What happens is you bring more people into the pyramid scheme and use that money to pay off the the, the old people, right? And uh, at a rate that's higher than the S&P 500, for example, um, consistently. But actually what you're doing is you're just scamming everybody, right? Because your system relies entirely on bringing new people in. 
and the second it stops, the whole thing collapses. So it's a house of cards. It's not an actual investment strategy, right? Right. So like, but even there, you know, and there are a few out there, no doubt that do this, but they're not available to the average person. They're not taking Indeed. your money. They don't need to, they don't want to. So they don't. That makes sense. Can you tell a difference between someone who's very good at sales and just selling you on, say, a course and a valuable course? Is there any way to actually decipher that through the internet? Or is it kind of a, yeah, a crapshoot? I mean, yeah. Well, no. When you, you Listen, the good news is if you're really going to do your due diligence and, and you know, look at reviews and go online, go deeper than the first page of Google. And, you know, really, do you, you, the, the thing you don't want to do is go onto someone's landing page, watch five testimonials, and then say, oh, my God, these people are doing so well. I can do it. That, that's not enough research, right? You want to really check the market to find out which of these courses, which of these mentors is the real deal and which is not full of shit. And you're going to find most of them oh, full of crap and that don't have great reputations. But there are some that have really good reputations. There are a few. Okay. But they're few and far between. Um, and you just have to do the research online. If they wrote a book, um, check out their book. I mean, these are, these are like really inexpensive ways to really find out about real estate or any other thing, right? Is read their book if they have one. How are the reviews on Amazon or whatever else? Do your research. And, and, and I think it's pretty easy to, to, to smell out the bullshit. Okay. What's real and what's not. You can tell this guy is really low in agreeableness as well. Now, fortunately, most of the time, it's going to be bullshit. So um, how do you feel about these people? I mean, you see all these get-rich-quick schemes online, and one of them is- Obviously, they're crap. Take, take a small investment, put it into property, rent the property. This is all over like TikTok and Instagram. And then you can bring in passive income by renting all these multiple properties that you've taken out loans on. You know, Does that, does that, act, does that work? Or is that just one of these get-rich-quick schemes? It's not get-rich-quick either. Because that requires a substantial investment. Well, no, I mean, property investment can be great. Indeed. Right? But there's rules and strategies to the property game. You have to know exactly what you're doing. Now, I'm sure, like, if you look at 10 different products out there, they're teaching this. Probably, you know, seven of them are completely full of shit. Right, exactly. It's, it's like anything else. Okay. Let's end the video there. Hit the like, hit the sub, hit all the notifications. Drop me a donation like Hunter M, Adrian R. Tom M, Bobby, Dylan, Renaissance Press, and Brian. Shout out to you, most recent Patreon subscriber. Thank you. My Patreon is patreon.com slash the Helios blog. If you're interested in buying my books, it's at bit.ly slash Helios books. If you'd like coaching, message me at the Helios blog at gmail.com. Take care of yourselves, guys. Thank you so much for listening, especially if you listen to the end. I really do appreciate it. And I'll see you guys next time.